A Journal of the Plague Year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 9 For me, at least, this is one of the grimmest chapters in the entire account. I first read it over thirty years ago, and in revisiting the work now it's the one series of passages I remembered best and sought out first. Defoe begins by resuming his account of the plight of families whose houses were shut up, illustrated by the graphic story of a young girl who died within hours of falling ill and how her mother went mad with grief before dying herself. He then goes on to describe the pit, this dreadful gulf, he calls it, dug in Aldgate for the burial of the parishioners, and in one of the most shocking scenes in the novel, describes his visit to the pit and the burial of the dead. Take your time with this episode. There's a lot to absorb. But I come back to the case of families infected and shut up by the magistrates. The misery of those families is not to be expressed, and it was generally in such houses that we heard the most dismal shrieks and outcries of the poor people, terrified and even frighted to death by the sight of the condition of their dearest relations, and by the terror of being imprisoned as they were. I remember, and while I'm writing this story, I think I hear the very sound of it. A certain lady had an only daughter, a young maiden about nineteen years old, and who was possessed of a very considerable fortune. They were the only lodgers in the house where they were. The young woman, her mother, and the maid had been abroad on some occasion. I don't remember what, for the house was not shut up. But about two hours after they came home, the young lady complained that she was not well. In a quarter of an hour more, she vomited and had a violent pain in her head. Pray God, says her mother in a terrible fright, my child has not the distemper. The pain in her head increasing, her mother ordered the bed to be warmed and resolved to put her to bed, and prepared to give her things to sweat, which was the ordinary remedy to be taken when the first apprehensions of the distemper began. While the bed was airing, the mother undressed the young woman, and just as she was laid down in the bed, she, looking upon her body with a candle, immediately discovered the fatal tokens on the inside of her thighs. Her mother, not being able to contain herself, threw down her candle and shrieked out in such a frightful manner that it was enough to place horror upon the stoutest heart in the world. Nor was it one scream or one cry, but the fright having seized her spirits, she fainted first, then recovered, then ran all over the house, up the stairs and down the stairs, like one distracted, and indeed really was distracted, and continued screeching and crying out for several hours, void of all sense, or at least government of her senses, and, as I was told, never came thoroughly to herself again. As to the young maiden, she was a dead corpse from that moment. 
for the gangrene which occasions the spots had spread over her entire body, and she died in less than two hours. But still the mother continued crying out, not knowing anything more of her child, several hours after she was dead. It is so long ago that I'm not certain, but I think the mother never recovered, but died in two or three weeks after. This was an extraordinary case, and I am therefore the more particular in it, because I came so much to the knowledge of it. But there were innumerable such like cases, and it was seldom that the weekly bill came in, but there were two or three put in, frighted, that is, they may well be called frighted to death. But besides those who were so frighted as to die upon the spot, there were great numbers frighted to other extremes, some frighted out of their senses, some out of their memory, and some out of their understanding. But I returned to the shutting up of houses. As several people, I say, got out of their houses by stratagem after they were shut up, so others got out by bribing the watchmen and giving them money to let them go privately out in the night. I must confess I thought it at that time the most innocent corruption or bribery that any man could be guilty of, and therefore could not but pity the poor men, and think it was hard when three of those watchmen were publicly whipped through the streets for suffering people to go out of the houses shut up. But notwithstanding that severity, money prevailed with the poor men, and many found means to make sallies out and escape that way after they had been shut up. But these were generally such as had some places to retire to, and though there was no easy passing the roads anywhither after the first of August, yet there were many ways of retreat, and particularly, as I hinted, some got tents and set them up in the fields, carrying beds or straw to lie on, and provisions to eat, and so lived in them as hermits in a cell, for nobody would venture to come near them, and several stories were told of such some comical, some tragical, some who lived like wandering pilgrims in the deserts, and escaped by making themselves exiles in such a manner as is scarce to be credited, and who yet enjoyed more liberty than was to be expected in such cases. I went all the first part of the time freely about the streets, though not so freely as to run myself into apparent danger except when they dug the great pit in the churchyard of our parish of Aldgate. A terrible pit it was, and I could not resist my curiosity to go and see it. As near as I may judge, it was about forty feet in length, and about fifteen or sixteen feet broad, and at the time I first looked at it, about nine feet deep. But it was said they dug it near twenty feet deep afterwards in one part of it, till they could go no deeper for the water for they had, it seems, dug several large pits before this. For though the plague was long a-coming to our parish, yet when it did come, there was no parish in or about London where it raged with such violence as in the two parishes of Aldgate and Whitechapel. I say they had dug several pits in another ground when the distemper began to spread in our parish, and especially when the dead carts began to go about which was not in our parish till the beginning of August. Into these pits they had put perhaps fifty or sixty bodies each. Then they made larger holes wherein they buried all that the cart brought in in a week, which, by the middle to the end of August, came to from two hundred to four hundred a week. And they could not well dig them larger, 
because of the order of the magistrates confining them to leave no bodies within six feet of the surface and the water coming on at about seventeen or eighteen feet, they could not, I say, put more in one pit. But now, at the beginning of September, the plague raging in a dreadful manner, and the number of burials in our parish increasing to more than was ever buried in any parish about London of no larger extent, they ordered this dreadful gulf to be dug, for such it was, rather than a pit. They had supposed this pit would have supplied them for a month or more when they dug it, and some blamed the church wardens for suffering such a frightful thing, telling them they were making preparations to bury the whole parish, and the like. But time made it appear that the church wardens knew the condition of the parish better than they did. For the pit being finished the 4th of September, I think, they began to bury in it the 6th, and by the 20th, which was just two weeks, they had thrown into it 1,114 bodies when they were obliged to fill it up, the bodies being then come to lie within six feet of the surface. I doubt not but there may be some ancient persons alive in the parish who can justify the fact of this, and are able to show even in what place of the churchyard the pit lay better than I can. The mark of it was also many years to be seen in the churchyard on the surface, lying in length parallel with the passage which goes by the west wall of the churchyard out of Houndsditch, and turns east again into Whitechapel, coming out near the Three Nuns Inn. It was about the 10th of September that my curiosity led, or rather drove, me to go and see this pit again, and when there had been near four hundred people buried in it, and I was not content to see it in the daytime as I had done before, for then there would have been nothing to have been seen but the loose earth, for all the bodies that were thrown in were immediately covered with earth by those they called the barriers, which at other times were called bearers, but I resolved to go in the night and see some of them thrown in. There was a strict order to prevent people coming to those pits, and that was only to prevent infection, but after some time that order was more necessary for people that were infected and near their end, and delirious also, would run to those pits, wrapped in blankets or rugs, and throw themselves in, and, as they said, bury themselves. I cannot say that the officers suffered any willingly to lie there, but I have heard that in a great pit in Finsbury, in the parish of Cripplegate, it lying open then to the fields, for it was not then walled about, Many came and threw themselves in and expired there before they threw any earth upon them, and that when they came to bury others and found them there, they were quite dead, though not cold. This may serve a little to describe the dreadful condition of that day, though it is impossible to say anything that is able to give a true idea of it to those who did not see it other than this, that it was indeed very, very, very dreadful, and such as no tongue can express. I got admittance into the churchyard by being acquainted with the sexton who attended, who, though he did not refuse me at all, yet earnestly persuaded me not to go, telling me very seriously, for he was a good, religious, and sensible man, that it was indeed their business and duty to venture, and to run all hazards, and that in it they might hope to be preserved, but that I had no apparent call to it but my own curiosity, which, he said, 
He believed I would not pretend was sufficient to justify my running that hazard. I told him that I had been pressed in my mind to go, and that perhaps it might be an instructing site that might not be without its uses. Nay, says the good man, if you will venture upon that score, name of God go in, for depend upon it, twill be a sermon to you, it may be, the best that you ever heard in your life. Tis a speaking sight, says he, and has a voice with it, and a loud one to call us all to repentance. And with that he opened the door and said, Go, if you will. His discourse had shocked my resolution a little, and I stood wavering for a good while, but just at that interval I saw two links come over from the end of the minories, and I heard the bellman, and then appeared a dead cart, as they called it, coming over the streets, so I could no longer resist my desire of seeing it, and went in. There was nobody, as I could perceive at first, in the churchyard, or going into it, but the barriers and the fellow that drove the cart or rather, led the horse and cart. But when they came up to the pit, they saw a man go to and again, muffled up in a brown cloak, and making motions with his hands under his cloak, as if he was in great agony, and the barriers immediately gathered about him, supposing he was one of those poor delirious or desperate creatures that used to pretend, as I have said, to bury themselves. He said nothing as he walked about, but two or three times groaned very deeply and loud, and sighed as he would break his heart. When the barriers came up to him, they soon found he was neither a person infected and desperate, as I have observed above, or a person distempered in mind, but one oppressed with a dreadful weight of grief indeed, having his wife and several of his children all in the cart that was just come in with him, and he followed in an agony and excess of sorrow. He mourned heartily, as it was easy to see, but with a kind of masculine grief that could not give itself vent by tears, and calmly defying the barriers to let him alone, said he would only see the bodies thrown in and go away. So they left importuning him. But no sooner was the cart turned round, the body shot into the pit promiscuously, which was a surprise to him, for he at least expected they would have been decently laid in, though indeed he was afterwards convinced that was impracticable. I say, no sooner did he see the sight, but he cried out aloud, unable to contain himself. I could not hear what he said, but he went backward two or three steps and fell down in a swoon. The barriers ran to him and took him up, and in a little while he came to himself, and they led him away to the pie tavern over against the end of Houndsditch, where, it seems, the man was known, and where they took care of him. He looked into the pit again as he went away, but the barriers had covered the body so immediately with throwing in earth that though there was light enough, for there were lanterns and candles in them, placed all around the sides of the pit upon heaps of earth seven or eight, or perhaps more, yet nothing could be seen. This was a mournful scene indeed, and affected me almost as much as the rest, but the other was awful and full of terror. The cart had in it sixteen or seventeen bodies. Some were wrapped up in linen sheets, some in rags, some little other than naked, or so loose that what covering they had fell from them in the shooting out of the cart, and they fell quite naked among the rest. But the matter was not much to them, 
or the indecency much to anyone else, seeing they were all dead, and were to be huddled together into the common grave of mankind, as we may call it. For here was no difference made, but poor and rich went together. There was no other way of burials, neither was it possible there should, for coffins were not to be had for the prodigious numbers that fell in such a calamity as this. It was reported by way of scandal upon the barriers that if any corpse was delivered to them decently wound up, as we called it then, in a winding sheet tied over the head and feet, which some did, and which was generally of good linen, I say it was reported that the barriers were so wicked as to strip them in the cart and carry them quite naked to the ground. But as I cannot easily credit anything so vile among Christians, and at a time so filled with terrors as that was, I can only relate it and leave it undetermined. <laughs>